Well, many years ago, uh, at Bible College, uh, I did one subject, and the required text is this book called Life Together. It's written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German martyr, uh, at the age of maybe 39 years old. And he coined this phrase called visible community is grace. And at the beginning of his book, actually you can download this book for free. Uh, PDF uh, is free, you can download it, just key in life together. And Bonhoeffer, and you, will, you can read it. It's a tiny little book, but it's a gem. Not an easy book to read, but it is a good book to read. Uh, at the beginning of the book, Life Together, this is what he says. He's he quoting Martin Luther, the great reformer. And he says, it is not simply to be taken for granted that a Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies. At the end of his disciples, all his disciples deserted him. On the cross, he was utterly alone. He was surrounded by evildoers and mockers. And he went on to say this. He said, it is by God's grace that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly around God's word and sacrament in this world. Not all Christians partake of this beautiful grace. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in hidden countries stand alone. They know that visible community is grace. The gathering of a church visibly is God's grace given to us. And who knows that best? As he already mentioned, those who in God's strange providence have little to no access to it, the imprisoned, the sick, the refugees, they don't have that grace, that opportunity, the privilege of gathering together as a community. I receive, uh, I subscribe to Open Doors International, a ministry that serves persecuted Christians uh, worldwide, and I receive their magazine every month. And in it, one of the stories says a believer from Laos by the name of Doc, D O K. He spent 13 years in prison, including five and a half months in solitary confinement for sharing the gospel with others. And this is what he said. He said, the room was small, it was bare, crammed, and smelly. My hands and feet were handcuffed. Where I slept, I also went to the toilet. The room was very, very dark. I couldn't see anything. They didn't let me wear anything but my underwear, he recalls. I lived in that small room for a long, long time and I had nothing to do inside but pray and pray and pray that everyone would believe and accept Jesus. Visible, visible community is grace. We have it. It's God's gift and grace to us believers that we can gather together to sing, to worship to encourage one another. It is God's grace to us. It is His grace that He gives to us. I was in Pakistan 
Uh, we were reaching out to Afghans refugees. There were lots of Afghans in the 90s during the Taliban rise. A lot of refugee overflow into Islamabad, the capital of Pakistan. We have a small group of fellowship among the believers, converts of, of uh, Islam. And we can't gather together. We gather secretly together. And each time, each week, we have to move from here to there, to this place and that place, just to not arouse any suspicion. Visible community is God's grace. And this morning, I have titled my sermon, Better Together. Better Together. We believe that I acknowledge, while I say better it together, I acknowledge for some people, their experiences are so bad in their lives that they don't agree that better is together. Whether it is in the area of relationship, husband and wife, or church, many people live in fragmented relationship. They disagree passionately that better is not together. But I'd like to suggest that as believers, as Christians, whether church or family, it should be better to be together. It should be that way. Mother Teresa used to say that I can do things you cannot. And you can do things I cannot. And together, we actually can do great things. Because each one of us are so limited in our gifts and abilities. And therefore, we can't be it should be better together if, we, if there's a way of working harmoniously and complementing each other. It should be better because you can do more things. I can't imagine that it's only Pastor Caroline and myself running the church. I just cannot imagine. It is better together. Alone we can do so little, but together we can do so much. I often during my premarital counseling class for couples getting married, I always give this analogy. I say it's like two streams of river flowing down from a very high level. And then it, at some point, they cut across each other and cross path. And that crossing is very tumultuous because it's an adjustment period. But if you walk a few hundred meters down, you see the river now together, it is more powerful. They can generate more force. And so it should be that way. It should be better together. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this thing. He said, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. And let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Because a healthy person, he should be able to be alone and they should be in a community. That is a healthy person. So not or either or, it has to be both. And Hebrews 10 that uh, Alvin has just read to us in the passage, I just have no time to unpack the entire text to you. But briefly, let me set this text in context because it's only two verses that I'm going to zoom in for this session that we have. You know, there are three types of Jew, right? You have the Orthodox Jew, which uh, Judaism is their religion. And you have uh, secular Jew. 
they are Jew by race, but they are, they are non-practicing in terms of their religion. So you have Orthodox Jew, you have secular Jew, and then you have Messianic Jew. Jew who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. There are many Jewish people they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. But Messianic Jews are Jews that embrace and believe Jesus is the fulfillment of what God has been saying, that this person will come. And in the context of Hebrews, the Messianic Jew, those Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, they embrace it, but they are under persecution, not just by the, the Roman Empire and all that, but by the fellow Jew who is, a, who is Orthodox Jew. Say, so why do you believe in Jesus as a Messiah? Come back to us. Return back to us. And so they were under persecution, tremendous amount of, of persecution, and they're beginning to have some doubt of returning back to Orthodox Judaism instead of maintaining, believing that Jesus is truly the Messiah. They're under severe persecution and they're always wanting to give up. And so the author of Hebrews write that letter to encourage this Jewish, the Messianic Jew, to stay on the track. Don't return back to the old covenant. And systematically he begins to argue why Jesus is better. He's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron, he's better than the old covenant, he is better. When you are in a better position, why are you wanting to return back to all of the things? When you have enjoyed so much of mobile phone, maybe, why do you want to return back to telex or fax machine, for example? I don't know some people still use that. But it is, he's arguing, you have Jesus, he's a fulfillment of everything. When you have Jesus, you have everything. Why do you want to return back to observing laws and all that? And so that is the context. Because they're wanting to return back. And so the author was challenging them to stay on. And in the passage that was read to us by Elwin, there are three let us. Let us. The first let us, he said, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And then in verse 23, he said, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. It is the third let us that I want to share with you this text. He said, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. The author of Hebrew probably could name their names but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near or the day approaching. Christian community is grace. I hope at the end of the sermon, if you forget everything I said, remember these four words. Visible community is grace. It's God's gift to us believers. It's His grace that He gives it to us. When you lose it, then you realize how beautiful and how valuable it is. Visible community is grace. It is the direct result of God's grace towards us in the gospel. It is a source of God's grace to you and I to continue to run this race by having each other to support. Here in this verse, the goal of this Christian community, it says here, according to the author, 
is love and good deeds. He said, let us consider how we may stir one another on towards love and good deeds. And so the goal of this community then is to stir one another, to provoke, some versions say, to provoke, to spur, to stir, to provoke each other towards love and good deeds. Because our default position is, is, is go astray. There's a natural human sinfulness. The default position is always to err. And we need a community to draw us, guide us. And that's why I always say, even as a pastor, I need the church more than the church needs me. I need the church more than the church needs me. And so here, the goal then is to stir, to provoke, to spur one another on to love and good deeds. So that is the goal. Then the next question is, what are the strategies in arriving there? And the authors here gives us three things that we can do as a community. The first one is be intentional. How do you get there? How do you spur one another on? How do we provoke each other towards love and good deeds? The first one is be intentional. You know, we don't want to drift. You know, we can easily drift in life. We can simply just exist rather than live, right? We can just simply exist. But we want to live. We want to be intentional in our life. And the word here is consider. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. One another. What does it mean to consider? To paraphrase the Puritan writer John Owen, to consider one another calls for diligent inspection, attentive consideration, and determined focus as opposed to distracted or careless thoughts. Consider what? Be intentional to consider that we are all human beings created in the image of God. We are in a community with real people who have real stories, real burdens, real scars. Real challenges in life, real temptations that some of us face and doubts that we are all God's affection and recipients of His grace. Make it a habit to think about these people and those parts of our life as real people with real stories, real scars, real challenges, real trials in life. You know, those people in professional healthcare, nurses and others, they know these poems very well. Have you heard of this crabbit old woman? The word grabbit in Scottish means bad temper or grouchy or cantankerous. And it, it says this, What do you see, nurses? What do you see? What do you think of when you look at me? A grabbit old woman? Not very wise. Uncertain of habit with faraway eyes, who dribbles her food and takes no reply when you say in a loud voice, I wish you try. 
who seems not to notice the things that you do and forever is losing a stocking or shoe, who unresisting or not lets you do as you will with bathing and feeding the long day to fill? Is that what you're thinking? Is that what you see? Then open your eyes, you're looking at me. I'll tell you who I am as I sit here so still, as I eat at your bidding, as I eat at your will. I'm a small child of ten with father and mother, brothers and sisters who love one another. A young girl at 16 with wings on her feet, dreaming that soon now a lover she'll meet. A bright soon at 20, my heart gives a leap, remembering the vows that I promised to keep. At 25 now, I have young of my own who need me to build a secure, happy home. A woman of 30, my young now grow fast, bound to each other with ties that should last. At 40, my young now will soon be gone, but my man stays beside me to see I don't mourn. At 50, once more, babies play round my knee. Again, we know children, my loved one and me. Dark days are upon me. My husband is dead. I look at the future and shudder with drag, for my young are all busy rearing young of their own. And I think of the years and I love and the love I have known. I'm an old lady now, and nature is cruel. This her jest to make old age like a fool. The body it crumbles, grace and vigor depart. And now there's a stone where I once had a heart. But inside this old carcass, a young girl still dwells. And now and then again, my battered heart swells. I remember the joys, I remember the pain, and I'm loving and living life over again. I think of the years all too feel, gone too fast, and accept the stark fact that nothing can last. So open your eyes, nurses. Open and see, not a grabbed old woman. Please, look. Is me. Intentional. Better together. Intentional to consider one another as real human beings with real stories, struggles, pain, scars. See each other that, that we are saved by the grace of God. Don't judge people on the surface. Everybody has their own challenges and struggles. And if you care enough to sit down and listen to it, you'll be overwhelmed with compassion. You know, Haddon Robinson, uh, a preacher, wrote many books to preachers, teaching them how to preach. He says this, which I really wholeheartedly agree as a pastor. He said, love is that thing which if the church has it, it doesn't really need much else. And if it doesn't have it, whatever else it has doesn't really matter very much at all. Think of that. Isn't it also in the family sometimes? And so here the author is saying, spur one another towards love and good deeds, but begin by considering, be intentional to look at the person and see them as a human being. 1 John chapter 4, love is so crucial, isn't it? 
If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And further down in 1 John 4, he says, if I love God but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love God, we can see how can we love God whom we cannot see? And here in 1 John 2, is there anyone who claims to be in the light but hate his brother is still in the darkness? A new command I give you, love one another as I love you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. How does people know that we are Christ's disciples? If you love one another. The school of relationship is where you learn self-knowledge. The school of relationship is where you learn self-knowledge. You cannot learn about yourself sitting under a tree, you know. You can in some sense, but so long as you are also part of in a community. School of relationship is where you learn self. You know more about yourself in a relational environment. I just don't know how you could learn it sitting alone in the desert on a rock by yourself. You have to see where you fail. And that confrontation with your own ability, I was again not able to love. Those are the teachable moments. Francis Schaeffer uh, said, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. It is the criterion that the world measure us. Not to mention that it is my deep belief that we reflect God's image the best when we are in healthy relationships. We reflect God's image the best if we are in healthy relationships. So the first one of spurring each other on towards love and good deeds is to consider, to be intentional, to look at each other and see us as human beings, saved by the grace of God. Then there's a starting point for us to relate because we're all on the same level, saved by the grace of God. And secondly, it's not just only be intentional, but be present. Be present. The church is empty. Be present. The author here say, not just only consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together. Not neglecting to meet together. NASB, the New American Standard Version said, not abandoning our own meeting together. Not abandoning, not forsaking, not neglecting. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. And Paul knows that. If you read Paul's letters in the New Testament, he longingly knows and look forward to the presence of other believers. I can read to you so many in 1 Thessalonians, in 2 Timothy, in 2 John. He talks about not writing with ink, wanting to see you face to face. 
And Bonhoeffer says this in the book. Bonhoeffer says this. He said, a human being is created as a body, right? We have body. A human being is created as, as a body. God, the Son of God, appeared on earth in the body of Jesus Christ, come as a body, and he was raised in the body. In the sacrament, during the Holy Communion, the believer received the Lord Christ in the body and the element of the bread and wine, the body, and the resurrection of the dead in the future, again, is a bodily resurrection. And he said, therefore, the believer praises the Creator, the Redeemer, the God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the bodily presence of the other Christians. The bodily presence of of other Christians because everything is present physical presence how do you provoke others to grow in love by your bodily presence here by consider it from the other direction the bodily presence of other Christians in your life is one of God's appointed means to provoke you to grow in love for God and love for people and this is stated in the negative sense, isn't it? Not neglecting to meet together. You know, the word neglect or forsake or abandoned has a strong connotation of Old Testament covenant of unfaithfulness. Neglect, abandon, forsake. Let me read to you some of the verses. In Deuteronomy 28, for example, God said, the Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking him. That's the same type of connotation, forsaking to meet together. You forsake him. And Judges chapter 2, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went they went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. So there's this sense of abandoning the Lord. And then in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5, on the positive sense, here the author says, Jesus quoting God saying, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. So there's this not neglecting together, not forsaking one another, not abandoning the gathering together of the bodily presence has this strong connotation of covenant faithfulness in the same way. The bodily presence of other Christians is one of the means God uses to protect you from the deceitfulness of sin, from the hardness of heart, and from unbelief. God gives us this community, this presence, bodily presence, to help us, to guide us, to grow in the grace of visible community. Make it a habit to be present as God allows. And when you and I serve God zealously, it keeps us in the race. Bodily presence is so essential. Someone said that today my heart beat over 103,000 times. My blood traveled about 168 million miles. I breathed 
23,400 times. I inhale 438 cubic feet of air. I ate 3 pounds of food and drank 2.9 pounds of liquid. I perspire 1.43 pints, gave off 85.3 degrees of heat. I generated 450 tons of energy. I spoke 4,800 words. Maybe today I speak a bit more. I moved 750 major muscles. And I exercised 7 million brain cells. No wonder I'm tired all the time. And St. Augustine said, people travel to wonder at height of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars. And they pass by themselves without wondering. This miracle, this bodily presence of each other is so vital. And so here, the author is saying, we are better together. We want to stir up one another towards love and goodness. How are you going to do it? Be intentional to consider one another as being, human being created in the image of God. And be intentional. What else? Second? Be present in this community. Be present, not neglecting to meet together. And thirdly, it is to engage. It is to engage. Here, the authors say, but encouraging, not neglecting to meet together, as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another. But encouraging, be engaged. Be engaged in the community that you are part of. Give back to the community, as we often say, isn't it? If you benefit from the community, give back to the community. Plow it back. Plow it back to what you benefited from. Plow it back to the community. Be engaged. Be involved. Use your gifts. Use your gifts to contribute. Did you know that when you, when you save certain things just for yourself, you actually spoil them? When we save our, our flesh, and we use it for ourselves, it becomes lust. When you hoard your wealth that God has blessed you just for yourself and don't want to use it to bless people, it can become greed. When God has blessed you with wisdom and knowledge and skill and you don't use it, it can become pride. So everything that you keep within yourself, you spoil it. But if you reinvest it, use it, you will grow. You will grow more. You will multiply. Your gifts will multiply. You will multiply as well. And so I want to encourage you, the third thing that we can be better together is to be engaged. Plow back to the community that you are part of. However small, it is my goal that I mentioned to elders many times before. It is my hope and my prayer as a pastor is that everyone in the church is involved in a, an area of ministry, whatever that may be. When you go for lunch afterwards, you look at the hall 
and I have pasted up some A3 paper, big one. And I, we have identified, identified some ministry in the church that you might be interested. Youth ministry, as we said, we have Zach. Sunday school, kids church, we need a few more teachers and helpers. Uh, audiovisual behind them, mending the PowerPoint and the sound. Uh, we need about maybe two more. We need helpers. We need people who are willing to serve, play a part. So you can look around there, and we even have one copy there that says, if none of what we listed there fits, suits you, write your name down. We'll find you something. <laughs> we'll find you something. If you have a willing heart, even if it is a once-off, occasional, you know, we still need help. Whether it is your muscle or your brain or whichever gifts that you have, Use it and plow it back to the community that you are part of. I know we live busy life. We all live very busy life. I can sympathize with many families with young kids and, and elderly parents. You all are flat out with full-time job and, and all that, and activities and all that. We, we understand that. So we are not, not demanding or expecting people to give everything, you know. But do what you can but plow something back to the community that you are part of. And the goal is to spur one another on towards love and goodness. And the strategy is to be intentional, to consider, to be present, to be present, and to be engaged. I want to end off this session with a story from the Bible. The story is told of King David. And this story mentioned that he was hiding in a cave near Bethlehem. We do not exactly know the context. It's either he was running away from uh, King Saul or he was made King uh, Hebron during the, the time. You know. It was harvest time. We are told that it was harvest time, which means to say there had been no rain and the cisterns were empty. No water was available in the cave. And David thirsts for water. And he not just thirsts for water. He thirsts for the water from the well at Bethlehem that he used to drink from when he was a little boy. You know, sometimes when you reach a certain age of your life, you become a little bit nostalgic. You want to return back to the good old days or your, your childhood place and, and see things and feel back again those times. And, and maybe David was like that. He wanted to drink water from Bethlehem. And he was just thinking aloud. You know, some people have a habit of thinking aloud. Men make the mistake always thinking that that is the final decision that men and women think they were actually thinking aloud and he's not asking for anything. Uh, and, and he was just thinking aloud. And three of his mighty warriors overheard it, near enough to hear what he said. They were close enough to hear his whisper words. And they were loyal enough to take his wish as their command and brave enough to obey at any cost 
So they traveled almost 20 kilometers, broke through enemy lines, and came back with the water from Bethlehem. You know, no matter what the Lord put in David's hand, he used it to honor God and help God's people. Whether it is a sling or a sword or a harp or even now the water. And this occasion is no exception. He's going to use it to glorify God. When David, when the three mighty water came and presented him with the water that they traveled 20 kilometers, broke through the enemy lines and took the water and gave it to him, he looked at the water. He looked into the cup that he held in his hand. You know what? He didn't see water in the cup. He saw the blood of the three men who had risked their lives just to satisfy his desire. And so for him, his rationale is to drink that water, it would demean all his men and cheapen the brave deed, deed of the three heroes. It would communicate to them that their lives really weren't important to him. That you were even going to you know, ask you to do this kind of things. Instead, you know what David did? David turned that cave into a temple. He poured the water out as a drink offering to the Lord as he has seen the priest do many times in the tabernacles. The drink offering accompanied the giving of another sacrifice such as the burnt offering and was not offered independently. It was an act of dedication that symbolized a person's life poured out in the service of the Lord together with the three mighty warriors who did all this for him. The three men had given themselves as a sacrifice to the Lord and served David. So David added his offering to theirs to show them together we give of ourselves to the Lord. And that is what I want to encourage you. Together, we give ourselves to the Lord to build this community up, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds by being intentional, be present, and be engaged. Because energy is renewed with love. Where there is love, there will be energy. Visible community is God's grace. It is grace. Nothing but God's amazing grace to you, to me. That we are allowed to live in this community with our Christian brothers and sisters for the time that we are here. Lord, we thank you that Christian community is grace, is your gift to us. Oh, how precious that when we live in harmonious relationship, we reflect you the best. And that is why you say, by this shall all men know you are my disciples, if you love one another. Lord, we thank you for this community you have given to us. We bow before you and say thank you. Forgive us that we have taken this grace for granted.
there are so many who long for such grace. And we have it. And we acknowledge we can't. We can't, Lord. I don't know how people can survive as a believer. It is not part of a Christian community. I don't know. I can't survive. I can't run the road. I can't walk straight without Christian community to guide me. And I pray that you will bless each one of us. Bless this church, Lord, that we will take hold of this grace that you have blessed us. Take hold of it. And together we grow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the gospel. It is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can gather together. Thank you. We bless you, Lord. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.